you're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia. Today we are at Campo Imperatore. Buonasera, il barone, the baron, Brian Nygaard, uh, looking very much ill at ease in a, a, an, an environment, a context which is not really, well, you're not in your element, I, I am, because we're at the bottom of, the, of a mountain. You're uh, also way more prepared in terms of clothing. Yes, um, we're, we're at base camp for the Gran Sasso d'Italia, for the Corno Grande, as we said, the highest mountain in the Apennines yesterday. First climb, Brian, many centuries ago, 1573, by De Marchi. No, Alessandro De Marchi, Francesco De Marchi. He was the first man to ascend Gran Sasso d'Italia. It took him five and a half hours. I don't know whether he started from where we are now, but... I hope he had a great time. I hope he, well, I'm sure he did, Brian. I'm sure he was very stimulated and he's, he felt his soul cleansed afterwards because that's how it feels to me when I'm in the mountains. I feel my soul cleansed. But is it dirty though? Uh, no, <laughs> well, I don't know. Brian, um, today was the first big mountain day, I think I'm right in saying, of this Giro d'Italia. Um, we've got some local Abruzzesi next to us, probably eating Arrosticini, was, but was today a bit of a nothing burger as far as... Well, stages are concerned and the Giro d'Italia is concerned. You can only uh, judge that based on my Taylor de Tapa, so you're jumping Probably it's going to be that. Brian, a little bit more uh, tangential Grand Sasso history. I'm going to try to make this somehow relevant. A lot of films um, have been set up there on the plateau, the little Tibet where the stage finished. It was a very spectacular day, wasn't it? Very photogenic, if nothing else. Um, telegenic. Um, probably the most famous was a film called Trinity is Still My Name, Italian Spaghetti Western, which when it came out in 1971 was the biggest grossing Italian film of all time. It starred Bud Spencer. Bud Spencer, that famous Italian. Yes, Bud Spencer was Italian. His name was uh, Car- Carlo Pedersoli. He was born in Naples, so relevant to yesterday as well. He was in a lot of films with Terence Hill. Now, do you know much about Bud Spencer? Because I did not realise what an extraordinary human he was and what an extraordinary CV he had. Um, well, he was massive in uh, in my part of Denmark too, because oh, he really? was. They showed his films uh, dubbed, as they do in Germany, as you know, because you live there, dubbed in German. So yeah, Bud Spencer was uh, was a I wouldn't say t- childhood hero, but he was definitely one that we all knew about. He was massive in a lot of parts of Europe. In fact, there's a statue dedicated to him in Budapest, where the Giro started uh, last year. Well, they they pretended that up there it was the Edwards Plateau in Texas in this film. Trinity is still my name. Um, I said he was an extraordinary human. He was a chemistry graduate. He was an employee at an Italian consulate in Brazil. He was the winner of the Italian water polo Scudetto with Lazio. He was an Olympian as a swimmer in Helsinki in 1952. Gold winner in the Mediterranean Games, the first Italian to break the minute barrier in the 100 meters freestyle. He was a helicopter pilot, a jet plane pilot, an entrepreneur, singer-songwriter. And then at the end of, well, more or less at the end of his life, um, in his 80s, he said, in my life I've done everything. There are only three things I haven't done, a ballet dancer, or haven't been, a ballet dancer, a jockey, and a politician. But that was not actually true. He had been a a failed politician. He'd stood as a regional councillor. For Forza Italia. That's this guy is dwarfing Remco. Well, exactly. Um, and to, speaking of helicopters, um, Remco got off the Gran Sasso in a helicopter 
tonight, I believe. But yeah, that's Bud Spencer. What a what a guy. And very when famous I was a, around when I was parts. a kid, I thought his name was Bud Spencer. Oh really? <laughs> but oh, really? wasn't this, My language uh, abilities weren't that good back then. I think we saw his image on some of the murals yesterday in Naples because he is one of the most famous sons well, of Not to Napoli. steal the thunder of Bud Spencer, but didn't they also shoot scenes from The Name of the Rose? Yes, they did. The f- it's a Bertolucci film, isn't it? Yes. Um, based on a very famous book by Umberto Eco, great intellectual of Italy. Brian, enough tangents for the moment. Um, we should say that well, we are. We're sitting at La Villetta Bar, as a, I called it, base camp for Gran Sasso. A lot of walkers coming down. We're also. I can sitting, smell those arrosticinis now. Yes, we're also. We might involve uh, our band of friends who have taken up residence beside us um, later on in the episode. But Brian, we're sitting close to where the cable car disgorges, and I think a lot of the riders came down. We're going to find out actually. A lot of the riders did come down by a cable car, so we might see one or two stragglers. Um, in the course of the episode. But without further ado, Brian, I think it's time for the tale of the tapper. It's time for the tale of the tapper. Brian, off you go. Thank you, Daniel. So stage seven from Capua to Gran Sasso d'Italia, Campo Imperatore. 218 kilometers. It's the first big mountain stage with more than 4,000 meters of climbing and also a big breakaway day, at least in terms of the time gaps. Um, before I go into that, two riders uh, didn't take start, so that makes it seven riders out of the Giro. It was Giovanni Aleotti from Bohansko and Nicola Conci. Both are out with COVID-19. Giovanni Aleotti, I'll just say, he also, he beat the stage winner. I won't reveal the stage winner's name now. He once beat the stage winner, I think, in an with under a stick 20. Or <laughs> no, well, in two victory in an under-23 Italian championships, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, sorry, Brian. Such things. So anyways, um, Several attacks from the start, but it wasn't until four riders went up the road, and they were Simone Pitelli from Intermarché, Davide Baez from Eolo Cometa, Henok Mulubran from Green Project Badiani, and Karel Vacek of Cortex Italia. So they went up the road, and that sort of shaped the stage. After 50 kilometers of racing, the gap had grown to 10 minutes, which gave Pitelli the virtual race lead as he was 7:49 after Lechnesund. Saturday. On the first GPM, the category two of Rocarasso, Davide Baez attacked, got the points, and it also acclimated that Henog Mulebrand got dropped, and the quartet turned into a trio. They Well, they massively went up the road, which headed north. Um, so with 100 kilometers to go, the breakaway had a whooping 12 minutes. Uh, on the way up the second category climb of the day, the 13.5 long Kalosho, the gap came down to 9.35, where the pace was mainly set by Team DSM, and the first selection of the sprinters uh, with heavy legs started to happen. Uh, they had around, at the top of that, they had around seven minutes. David Bias took the, the points uh, on that one. Uh, and we actually saw our colleague, Larry Warbass, was maybe well, that was the reason why. It dropped down so quickly, uh, he was pulling in the peloton, but it was still a very big group, and I'm calling it a peloton on a mountain stage, because that's what it was. What, what are you seeing here, Daniel? I, can, uh, I see a familiar face. I see a familiar face, but he seems to be on the phone. Go on, Brian, Brian. I don't want to I don't wanna well, it's put Chiro, you out of your stride. Chiro! Chiro! He's probably looking for the cable cards in Naples. He's on his way, but Brian, you know, try and continue while he makes his so, way Okay, over. so the peloton, and I think it, the group that was behind, even far up the climb, was still qualified to be a peloton. Fratelli, 
Chiro, um, you made it down in the cable car. How was it up there? Uh, I just came out, dear listeners, uh, from a real nightmare. <laughs> because this morning I got up in my bed with a marvelous view from my room of my apartment in Torre del Greco, looking at the sea. And uh, the nightmare appears uh, some hours later in Campo Imperatore. 2,000 meters, snow. Uh, a, a, a wind really chilly. What else? Nothing, Giro. Nothing. Giro. <laughs> Who did you speak to up there? Uh, with uh, Davide Baez, uh, Ivan Basso, uh, Damiano Caruso. Spoiler alert. So, of course, the team manager of Baez. Yes, Spoiler exactly. Alert. But, uh, but uh, interesting uh, quotes, especially around some. Uh, rider says for example Caruso he told me that he was a little bit surprised by the attitude of the bunch during the stage maybe he himself uh, maybe was thinking about a stage a little bit more with a more fight uh, between the big guys uh, from the overall and in in a certain way was the opposite we didn't see fireworks not at all maybe they were all thinking about the view this morning in Torre de Greco as well uh, maybe uh, but the problem is that I'm no longer there I'm here and I just uh, came out from my nightmare because now uh, the Campo Imperatore it's uh, behind my shoulders so now it's a little bit better you stay for a few days Chiro off you go do some work and um, we'll see you later ciao grande ciao and Brian, and try and try and pick up from there. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm fast forwarding here. I'm glad he didn't mention who won the stage, but with six kilometers to go, that trio in front still had six minutes twenty eight seconds. So it was completely impossible for them to be caught. The peloton was literally the peloton was literally four kilometers further down the mountain. Uh, quick step anyway up the tempo, but it was all too late. Um, at three point five to go, uh, the attacks began in the trio. Simone Petelli went first, no one could really break free, and at the end they actually came to line, the three of them, you'd think, but uh, Carol Vakela got dropped a few times, came back, uh, and uh, eventually Davide Baez from Cometa, he opened and taking a rather big gear, and he went clear to take the win. This was his first pro win from the 25-year-old rider born in Rovereto. I think he lives in Friuli. He does, yeah. And Karel Vasek was uh, second. In the big group, Rocklish and Evem. Evenepoel did a little, I think we can call that a sprintino, if you will, uh, after an attack by Eddie Dunbar of Jake Ayula with the world, but the world champion ended up edging out his, we think at least his rival for, for the overall win. Daniel, this was a boring stage. Um, can I just say that? I know it's boring, Brian. I know it's boring, but could we also have an update on general classification as well? If there is any update to give, because I don't really see anything significant that's changed. At one point, we thought Petili might be in with a shout for the pink jersey, but I'm just looking down, and, well, he's still a long way adrift. He's 24th. He's 4 minutes 49 down. Um, mountains, anything to report on the mountains? Because there were a lot of points available today. In fact, there is something to report on the mountains. Yeah, there is something to report on the mountains because... David Debaez took over the blue climbers jersey from Pino, uh, Thibaut Pino. So he's now leading that competition with 86 points, with Pino in second with 50, and Karol Vajcek. I mean, that just goes to show how many points were actually up for grabs, for grabs today. So he's third with 36 points. And we are biased, but it's a bit of a shame that Thibaut has lost the jersey, isn't it? Uh, Do you get it? Do you get it? Yeah, you I get, get it. it. <laughs> I can tell that you... Uh, <laughs> 
this is really this thin air just gets the gets your brain oxygenated doesn't it yeah, yeah so uh, that that was really the only thing to report in that domain well brian i was down at the team bus parking after the finish and i can tell you that the belgians were there was a lot of consternation among our belgian friends colleagues because they didn't know whether they were going to get any quotes from remco and then they heard that he'd gone off the mountain in a helicopter so it became clear they weren't going to get any remco tonight so we've there's t- a remco van here did you see that oh was there Oh yeah, oh, there is there's a, a van with like no, that's the VAR, that's the What's UCI that? video technology truck. That's where they analyze the footage and decide who's been a naughty boy and who will get. Well, penalties. good for them because the whole stage was in slow motion, so they don't have to do any rewind. <laughs> Brian, Brian, the Belgians were very concerned they weren't going to get any Remco tonight, so they started well their mad daily scramble for other angles and apparently carol vacek said at the finish i don't know who he said this to but he was talking about well nearly winning the stage and he admitted that he'd almost given up the sport a couple of years ago because watching rem remco had depressed him um he'd felt defeated and hopeless i feel i should we carol vacek well, <laughs> a spirit animal um, Brian, it was pandemonium when a couple of the Belgians found out that I had the um, telephone number of the Corotech press officer. They all wanted it and they were planning all sorts of elaborate journeys to get to the Corotech team hotel to verify these quotes this afternoon or this evening. Wow. So good luck with that, Jan uh, Peter de Vlieger of Het Newsblad and all of you others. Brian, let's hear from a couple of riders. Geraint Thomas, we're going to hear from him first. And after that. We're going to have our daily instalment, almost daily instalment, of, you know what, La Ranzando. We talked about how prominent Larry was today on our TV screens. And well, I caught up with him after he had also disgorged, been disgorged by the cable car when he got down to the bus parking. Yeah, a bit of an anti-climax, really, with a strong headwind. It was uh, difficult, not doing anyone really wanted to do too much, because obviously... You'll be pushing a lot of watts on the front and everyone will be sitting behind just chilled. So, well, not chilled, but a lot easier anyway. So, uh, yeah, a bit of a stalemate, really. Uh, as I say, a bit of an anticlimax and uh, looking forward to a bit of a test today, see where I was at. But I got pre called and it was, uh, yeah, everyone going back and getting warm kit on and plenty of layers. But uh, we were all right in the end, stayed, stayed warm. And then once we started climbing, it was all right and it stopped raining. So, hopefully, we have some better weather though at some point because. It's like being in the UK. La Renzando, a postcard from Italy with Larry Warbass. Well, Larry, you disappeared out of nowhere there, and you just told me you came down on the cable car. Now, the last time we were at uh, Gran Sasso, I don't remember if you were there or not, no. 2018, um, it was the casino to end all casinos at the Giro Mara venue was having fights with people, um, but it seems to be quite a smooth operation this time. No, no, it was a grande casino, <laughs> but uh, Larry Warbass organized the, the thing, so you know, it was like a million people in line, and then I just was like... Attenzione! I is, this really, arrivano. is this really what happened? Uh, I promise, I promise you. So and I was just yelling like, Permesso, Corridori, Corridori. And then it just parted like the Red Sea. We went straight to the front. You're the most popular man in the peloton tomorrow. You get a guard <laughs> of honor when you go to the start tomorrow. Well, the problem is just for my teammates and then one other guy on FDJ, but yeah. everyone was pretty happy, so. Let's wind the clock back because before that, Larry, a couple of hours before that, your face was all over our TV screens. You were right at the front of the peloton for a lot of the Grand Tassel climb. Yeah, I mean, we were just trying to stay in front with Aurelian because, like, uh, you know, he's third on GC and, like, 
you never know what's going to happen. So we just wanted to like stay in good position and stay out of trouble. Um, so yeah, I just went to the front and then we just, yeah, stayed there for a while. And uh, in the end, yeah, we didn't really go too fast until really like maybe two and a half K to go. Um, so yeah. So yeah, so talk to us a bit about, well, we guess, and I think all the riders have talked about headwind and that was the yeah. reason why we didn't see more action. Yeah, I mean, maybe a bit of headwind, but more just I think like there were no teams that really wanted to take it up because, you know, DSM just wanted to keep the jersey. The gap was still probably too big to really pull it back unless someone started like 100K out, and I don't think any teams wanted to burn too many matches yet. So um, I think that was really more the issue than uh, the headwind or anything. And how do you feel the general mood or the general sort of state of tiredness in the group at the moment i heard a few murmurs this afternoon that and there is a sense that everyone's getting pretty mentally tired at the end of this first week and also that yesterday and the day before were maybe more exhausting than people realize absolutely yeah everyone's really tired i think like today i don't know i was like oh it's going to take forever for the break to go but then at the start you could already kind of see that guys were like half-ass attacking like they were attacking but they didn't really want to be there you know except for joe joe was going full gas uh, is there a name for that in the peloton? Half-ass attacking? Apart from no, half-ass attacking. No, just half-ass attacking. So, um, yeah, I mean, they were going, but uh, it didn't really go anywhere. So uh, I think it's just, yeah, yesterday was actually really hard. No one expected that. I think everyone kind of expected uh, two easier sprint days. And uh, both days actually were quite hard. The first with the weather and uh, then yesterday with just, like, I mean, beautiful roads, but they were very technical, windy, up, down, left, right, uh, and it was pretty hard, so it ended up being hard. I think tomorrow will be tough, Larry, so you better get back to your hotel and relax. Good, good news is that I think the hotels have been sorted out for the, for the next few days, at least finally. Um, RCS have, have given you your hotel list, I believe, so you won't be staying in a decathlon tent for the next few days. So I hear. That's good, that's good, yeah. The Cycling Podcast at the 2023 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Science in Sport supports the Cycling Podcast and sponsors our coverage of the Giro d'Italia and they have sponsored us for a long time now. They started way back in 2016 and I've had the benefit of using Science in Sport products in particular on our Tour de Cosse ride last year when we were riding 100 kilometers, give or take, back to back, multiple days in a row. And it was the first time I'd really put the beta fuel to the test. And I have to say it was a revelation because I just never felt hungry. I never felt lacking in energy. And my first concern that taking on so much carbohydrate in drink form would leave me feeling heavy or bloated. Well, I needn't have worried because... It was a really pleasant drink to take on board and to digest. And so I asked Ben Swift of the Ineos Grenadiers whether he'd had to train himself to take on the amount of carbs that the riders are now taking on board during the race to cope with the intensity of the effort. You know, when you work quite closely with the nutritionists and the and the team plan and stuff like that, you adapt and you use the training in the winter and stuff like that to to change so it's not all of a sudden you're I think you'd notice it quite a lot if all of a sudden you did, went from zero to to everything and maybe that's when like the new guys come into the team they notice something like that but I think with the training and the adaptation and uh, the new ideas it gets implemented that far out that you kind of you have to do it in training also you know so it's not 
too much of a shock, to be honest. For the full range, go to scienceinsport.com. Well, Brian, we heard there from Larry in very good spirits. The Motel Maestro rode very well today, as we talked about. And well, very fitting also the song they're playing in this. This is not Motel. 80s, but no, this is it's, but it's Tarzan Boy. Tarzan Boy. How does that relate to Lucky Larry? He, he, I mean, today was a Tarzan oh, Boy. He was. He was. Um, he wasn't quite swinging from the trees, but um, <laughs> was it about the tree line the stage finish? Yes, oh, there it you go. was. It was. Um, Brian, we've talked about the end of the day to a certain extent. We'll talk about it more in just a minute. But let's wind the clock back, as is traditional, to around about lunchtime, time at which, traditionally, um, Lionel Bernie commits one of the greatest crimes one can possibly commit in Italy. Well, and technically, he orders you actually didn't have lunch. And he orders a cappuccino um, after the agreed curfew. It's past 11. Time for my cappuccino break. La pausa cappuccino con Lionel Bernie. Dopo le 11. Pronto? Pronto? Hello, Daniel. Hello, Lionel. Hello. How you doing? I, I thought you'd forgotten me. Um, I thought, well, it seems like you've forgotten how to speak Italian, having attained I such have. a high degree of fluency a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, I'm sorry about yesterday, um, as explained in the podcast. Well, it, wasn't, it was an inexplicable oversight, really, because you were very clear and succinct, as you always are in your WhatsApp messages. You told me exactly what time should be available, and I failed. Never mind, never mind. I have been immersed in the Giro d'Italia, though, for the last couple of days. A real strong sense of missing out because, yeah, I was watching the stage yesterday, Daniel, starting and finishing in Napoli, wondering why last year we didn't go to the Spanish Quarter and immerse ourselves in Diego Maradona, um, where all the, the pictures are, and a real homage paid to Napoli's favourite adopted son. And, of course, it was because we went to Pompeii. And when yes, the TV coverage had the fantastic. aerial pictures, oh, unbelievable. And, you know, Vesuvius is there as well, a really kind of... I think underrated part of Italy uh, for a for a weekend break. I hope the Giro goes there in the next year or two, and uh, I will definitely be making sure that I am there on the race next time you're in Napoli. Fantastic uh, looking. Yeah, hopefully our kilometre zero that was out this morning, Napoli, uh, the city of gods, gave people a bit of a vicarious sense of having been here. Uh, yesterday there was a lot of Maradona in there wasn't there Lionel um, if you there was, some, there was some nice bits if you listen right to the end there was a lovely um, moment where we were approached during the podcast at the end of the podcast by a group of very young children who wanted to be interviewed and we asked them about football and cycling quite alarming as I think came through in yesterday's podcast that um, how little the average Italian, certainly in, in Naples, knew about cycling. One of the very small children, I think they're seven or eight years old at, at most, could name Gino Bartali, however, um, which we were astonished by, but none of them had heard of Vincenzo Nibali. Um, a few of them had heard of Pantani, and of course, of course, their idol was Diego Maradona, which is also interesting. It says a lot, given that their team um, has just won the Scudetto with a constellation of other stars. Absolutely. And of course, the Amalfi Coast as well looked breathtaking on the TV. And today is another kind of blast from the past because they're going to Gran Sasso d'Italia where we, uh, well, we got stranded up there really, didn't we? A long, long wait to come down in the cable car. The last time yeah. the Maraveni was gesturing as furiously as he was a couple <laughs> of days ago. Remember, he was crowd surfing. <laughs> 
trying to get down on the cable car yeah. and I seem to remember some kind of altercation broke out between Mauro Vigny and Sean Kelly if I'm not res- not mistaken yeah there was wasn't there because well they, they really had messed up a bit hadn't they because they hadn't really thought about how the riders were going to get down uh, the roads were all completely jammed they were trying to take the, the top riders the leading riders down in the cable car and uh, Sean Kelly was not too happy he was doing some sort of comedy Italian hand gestures of his own in Vigny's uh, direction but I think Venue was feeling this, the stress and pressure of being the, the head honcho of the Giro. I mean, effectively, it was all his fault that the entire peloton was stranded at the top of the mountain, unable to get down. We eventually got down, didn't we? And then lost our car park ticket. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. Um, Maravegni is sporting a rather large plaster on his nose at the moment, or has been over the last few days. Um, I can reassure people that Sean Kelly... Uh, has been eliminated from inquiries because he is commentating <laughs> on the race from Bath, I think, I believe. I hope I haven't given anything away there. In, indeed, no. I mean, that's a sort of trade secret. You mentioned the Kilometre Zero episode on Napoli there, Daniel. That is available to Friends of the Podcast on our Friends of the Podcast feed. Lots of people will have heard us talking about the Friends of the Podcast feed over the years and, and maybe have you know thought, well, that's not for me. What is it even? They may not be too clear. Well, we fund the Cycling Podcast through a combination of sponsorship, advertising and Friends of the Podcast subscriptions. And an annual subscription costs £20, which is approximately $25 in American money 37 dollars in australia or 22 euros in europe you can contribute more if you wish and that funding really goes a very long way to ensuring that our grand tour coverage is available for everyone to listen to for free and the kilometer zero series this duo and at the tour de france will be on that friends of the podcast feed and if you want to sign up just go to thecyclingpodcast.com and if you're still not clear there's a really uh, easy guide to how you sign up uh, pay your money and then get connected to the friends of the podcast feed in a matter of clicks it is compatible with almost all of the major podcast apps including apple spotify and google and really once you've signed up you get your email you click on the link in the email and that will basically uh, get you set up in a matter of minutes so if you'd like to support the cycling podcast go to the cyclingpodcast.com to sign up well Lionel, it's gonna be time soon to well turn our attention to the finish um as i speak to you well i'm down at sort of Gran Sasso base camp in Acergi where the press room is today and I'm standing in front of an information board about how to behave in the presence of bears uh, this this area and this mountain in particular is well known for its bear population um, there's been a lot of talk about this in recent weeks in Italy because um, tragically I don't know if you've followed this news but a runner was mauled um, not very far from Madonna di Campiglio actually there's a obviously there's a Pantani link there um, Pantani won on Gran Sasso but he was mauled and, and killed a few weeks ago and there have been several such attacks in Trentino and there's been a lot of talk about why the bears have been successfully sort of assimilated in Abruzzo or live harmoniously with local population in Abruzzo and they don't in Trentino maybe we'll talk about that later in the Giro when we get up there gosh that, that's uh, well I was I was thinking how do you behave appropriately in the presence of bears uh, stand very still is that not right and make yourself as non-threatening as possible have well, I got that completely well, maybe, wrong maybe maybe we'll report back on this um, hopefully with no first-hand experience later in the Giro absolutely yes absolutely Brian did you see any bears today no I didn't see any bears no. uh, you, beer, I'm seeing bears on the table next to us 
Yes, we are seeing beers on the table next to us. Um, no, fortunately, no bear sightings today. We talked there as well, Brian, about well, our visit to Naples, which was documented in our Kilometer Zero that came out this morning, Napoli, City of Gods. Let's just hear a little bit of it, a small taster, um, again, featuring Chiro, who you just heard from. So Chiro, you've lived in Napoli, well you lived in Napoli for a long time, you were a native of Napoli, you were born there. When was the first time, can you remember, you realised that being from Napoli in Italy meant something, it meant you were slightly different, it, it sort of distinguished you from other Italians? Um, maybe from the very beginning of my life in a certain way certainly I can't remember really the first years of my life but uh, since when I have memories so uh, now unfortunately I'm almost 46 but when I was already 10 years old more or less it was easy to understand that being a Napolitan in Italy means something uh, special well, Brian, that was Nabule, and we're now in Abruzzo. We've headed north. We're heading further north. We had a conversation in the car earlier today about, well, I think we had a conversation last week when we were in Abruzzo about where the meridian is really situated in Italy. At what point do you feel as though you've left the south behind? This is the last outpost of the south, as far as I'm concerned. Once we get the other side of the Gran Sasso, I feel I'm back in the north, and that will occur tomorrow. Brian, you're frowning. You don't feel the same. No, I, I mean, I feel like we're at at the dark side of the moon. You know, this this landscape and all the way up here between the rocks and uh, and the snow. Yeah, I, I, this is like no man's land. You can call it north or south, but also there's no one living here, so couldn't really tell what type of people would be uh, would be of origin. People like me, Brian. People like me. I could I can see myself settling here. Maybe this evening. Maybe, maybe, once upon a time, Costante Girardengo, il campionissimo, famously stopped during a Giro stage and he said, he, he declared, Girardengo si ferma qui and he drew a, a cross. Well, then um, I have good news for you, Daniel, because what? six kilometers from the finish line, there's a very small town. Apparently, it's what the pride of this, uh, of this road, of a small hamlet, and they are offering... You might want to take notes here. Fifth, around, I think it's fifty-two thousand euros if you take up residency and buy a house. Oh, excellent! That's a decent chunk of change. Excellent. Um, I think that was pretty close to here as well. Um, yeah, six kilometers down the road. I th- well, I think uh, Girardengo stopped as well, quite close to here. That was nineteen ninety. Was it, uh, no, sorry, not it certainly wasn't nineteen ninety-one. Um, anyway, Brian, let's let's move on. Let's move swiftly on. Let's get back to today's stage. Uh, Davide Baez, Simone, and we thought Patili was going to take the stage. He was the rider in the group with the most pedigree. Um, Patili actually last year was supposed to do Giro d'Italia. He was sort of la- left out at the last minute when Antoine Marché decided to put everything behind Biniam Gamay and he said at the finish that he made a few mistakes. He had attacked too many times. He hadn't judged his effort properly. Bias looked to me as though a guy who knew that he was the fastest in the bunch and that gave him the confidence to make good decisions. Yeah, definitely. And it's a it's a big win also for the team. You know, it's one of the wildcard teams. They're here basically with Lorenzo Fortunato, Lucky, Lucky, Lorenzo. Lucky Lorenzo, but the luck came early for them with, with this. And this, this, you say even this saves the Giro, but there's still more to come for them. You know, Lorenzo, Lucky Lorenzo is still up there in the GC, but I think they can ride with a little bit more ease now. Brian, uh, let's talk about the the battle behind or lack of the lack of any significant battle behind the lack of any kind of battle apart well, from the sprintino at the end the sprintino we heard there two slightly 
contrasting conflicting opinions from Garrett Thomas and Larry Warbass. Larry saying that the wind wasn't that strong, perhaps not strong enough to justify the lack of action. We heard Chiro talk about Caruso of Bahrain Victorious sort of malign bemoan the lack of more aggression from some of the leaders teams where do you sit on this it's quite typical for the first mountain stage for people to draw conclusions about the the will of the peloton and why are they not racing um this the layout of the Giro this year it having such a hard stage in the first week with so much climbing and then there's a you know there's a hard hard ish stage tomorrow and then there's a time trial i also think the the gc contenders are thinking very wisely about when and how they want to spend the energy and we've also seen for a lot, minus Ineos I would say and and some maybe some of the other secondary GC teams that they, they are a little bit decimated so they also have to think about where they use their helpers if let's say if you even at the, at the lower slopes of, of Gran Sasso if you if you put the entire team in front it might not do that much damage mm. because it's it's a, it's a quite a strange climb Gran Sasso it's it's very long and it, it finishes in high altitude, but it's only really the last five kilometers that are hard. The last two, really. Yeah, the last two, really. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that there, there wasn't any major attacks, but I think, could, you know, there's, there's riders still in the race that would be f- extremely thankful for top 10. Mm. And I think they could have gone today and gained a couple of minutes without any of the GC teams really reacting. But here we are. Every, it's, still, it's still early days, so, yeah. I wasn't expecting massive action, but a little bit more. I mean, there was. Ba- I mean, there were so many riders on when the road narrowed. There, there weren't any room. Mm. Salvatore Puccio actually mm. fell down in the ditch because he couldn't fit in. Mm. So yeah, not a memorable stage in that sense. No, not at all. We'll well, we'll hear. We'll maybe talk a bit more in a minute about the the very the states of the various teams but I can tell you that Ineos Grenadiers had decided this morning having looked at we talk a lot on podcasts about VeloViewer which is the software that all these teams use and they can all they all know basically what's coming not in terms of not only in terms of roads but in terms of weather and they all knew there was going to be a headwind so they'd taken the decision this morning unless anything extraordinary happened on the stage they weren't going to try anything as a team now Jumbo Visma well we know that they came into this race in a depleted state with all the problems that they had with Covid and so forth and so on and then of course you've got Remco who crashed two days ago and may have wanted to postpone whatever plans of aggression that he he had I think he today he would only move if someone else moved yeah. before him he wouldn't use this opportunity to doesn't need to no it's going to pummel them all in the time trial i think in two days so you throw in all of those factors you throw in the headwind and perhaps we shouldn't be surprised we are going to talk we should have just stayed in naples <laughs> well <laughs> we and i gerard go in naples um not actually i found out where it was it was in molisa um and richard and i um richard moore late great richard moore and i did stop there a couple of years ago and we did do a little featurette on girardengo stopping there in uh, rio nero sanito I think it's called Rio Nero Sanitico, correct. Brian, we're going to talk a bit more about the teams of the pretenders to this Giro d'Italia throne. And this brings us to today's Chiacchierata del Giorno. It was it took place this morning in Capua and it's me in conversation with the Jumbo Visma Direct Sport team, Mark Rafe. La Chiacchierata del Giorno. The team wag of the day. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Mark, first big day, well, first big mountainous day in this Giro d'Italia. Um, it's a week now since you arrived in Pescara with a team that was, well, it was falling apart for various reasons. Uh, Thomas Glow came at the last minute. But just of, of those guys who came in at the last minute, how, how have they been this week? How has it gone for them? It was uh, tough to hear, I think, for them to, uh, to to get a call like this on the latest moment because they were like reserves four, five, six, to, to say it like that, because the first two reserve riders um, yeah, also went out with uh, with COVID. But they'd all done the training camp, is that right, in the Sierra Nevada? No, only Thomas. Okay. Only Tom, uh, Tom did it, Tom Gloak. Um, he joined the group on, uh, on, on the Tide. Uh, but yeah, it was not the plan to go to the to the Giro, of course. He did Romandie and then he would have a training period again to work towards the next part of the season but yeah they need some time to uh, to get into it and you also saw it on the first uh, on day two already when uh, when you had the, the hilly final that in the end one was by uh, was won by Matthews uh, they had difficulties to to get into it uh, Lago Laceno they already made a step forward Tom also had some yeah, he was not completely uh, ready yet he was still tired from training uh, so he needed a bit of time more and um, and yeah, since yesterday also his feeling um, is starting to improve so mm. yeah we have to see day by day how it goes yeah. and uh, we'll see some people say that when you go into a grand tour underprepared it's not as though you get you necessarily get better you might get better but you might also get worse yeah it's it can go both ways yeah. and we we hope for the best of course but yeah that's something what we have to see during the during the race and that's uh, that counts for Rowan that counts for uh, for Sam but also for Tom yeah. and with Tom Yesterday was a good signal forward and we hope today that again that he makes a step forward and then hopefully that, that with that uh, he goes into the right direction. I mean he's obviously a very young rider, how do you balance protecting him, uh, a guy who wouldn't ordinarily have done his Grand Tour now, with what the team needs? You need him as well, you need him to do a job. Yeah, that's, uh, that's true. And especially after the changes that, uh, that we had. But we also know that those few days, we count more on other guys. So we really got, uh, got the days to, to get into it. We didn't expect something at all. And since he improved yesterday, yes, we also try to expect a bit more of him today. Yeah, and then from there, we, uh, we look to uh, from, from actually week two. Uh, with, uh, with him. And what kind of feedback has Primoz been giving you this week about how he's been feeling? He feels good. Uh, he's well prepared. An altitude camp, he, uh, he had already great feeling, especially towards the end. And he's more than ready uh, to go for it. So we'll obviously know more after today, but we've got the time trial coming up. This year he had, a, well, it was his first time trial of the season in Torino where he didn't have a great result. And then he, he seemed happy the other day, but he did lo lose a lot of time from Remco. I mean, do you expect him to lose time from Remco at Cesena? Yeah, normally, I mean, if you look to the, to the TT of, uh, of day one, yeah, you say yes. Uh, if you look to the Vuelta of last year, what is a bit of a comparable TT, you say yes. So yeah, we will lose some time. That's how it is. But how much it is, yeah, that's something uh, what you cannot predict. The first 17 kilometers were flat. He, quite, he, he lost quite a bit um, on, the, on, on day one. But we also believe that yeah, with, with the race uh, here and after, uh, after eight days that he um, with some more speed in the in the legs, that he also will uh, will do a, an, a better uh, better TT than than on day one. Well, Brian, I thought that was interesting. Um, just underlining again, we said a minute ago that Jumbovic were depleted, weakened when they came in, and that still looks 
to be the case. They're, they're easing their way. They're feeling their way into this race, aren't they? They can be grateful that they haven't lost anyone, certainly. But I was watching them closely today. Rowan Dennis was dropped with about four kilometers to go. Sam Oman was dropping with about two kilometers to go. Um, Sepp Kuss, he just let a few wheels go in the last few hundred meters. And Cohn Bauman is the rider who, I suppose, relative to what we expected level to be, is the one that's performing best of Roglic's domestics. I was quite encouraged by Roglic's reaction to Remco's mini, his sprintet or sprintino. Um, he was right on the wheel. He looked, he looked good. Which confirms, I suppose, what Mark Rave said. He's prepared well for this race. Yeah, but also uh, we should keep in mind that Jumbo Visma is a super team, but they had a very big spring campaign, classics campaign. They were, they didn't pull off one of the big wins, but they were here, there, and everywhere. They basically dominated the cobblestones, at least until the Tour of Flanders. They also have high ambitions for defending the Tour de France uh, win from last year with Wingegor. They have probably constantly people in altitude training preparing for that going onwards. And seeing that they had these ambitions with Roglic, they they selected a relatively strong team. But if that team was not was not able to be intact at the start of the Giro, they will they will eventually run out of options mm. because you can only do sorry you can only do so much. Yeah, and looking ahead to that time trial, I mean, you heard there, Jumbo Visma, they expect Roglic to lose some more time. Um, it's um, it's a cagey mood around those three biggest teams. I mean, we shouldn't forget Almeida, of course, because he's in very good position. I mean, if the Giro is six weeks, I, I think he can even win. <laughs> well, no, he's in a very good position at the moment um, and has ridden a great race up until this point. But there, there is this caginess and they are circumspect and they're watching each other. I, I know they're watching each other. For example, Brian, down the team parking this afternoon, I heard a, a rumor. I'm not going to say who the rider is or the, who even the team is because Ooh, I can't... this is interesting. Well, I can't, <laughs> I can't verify um, and I don't want to speculate about riders' health, but I know that um, one of those teams we mentioned, well, they've noticed that a rider in another team that I mentioned um, has been sort of isolated. He's being isolated. He's a key rider. He's being isolated, they think, from the rest of the team um, arriving at stages in the car on his own. Suspicion he might be fighting or battling illness. Um, I also heard this morning a lot of murmurs about, well, the, the general feeling being that Sudar Quickstep are vulnerable. Um, Van Wilder and Hurt's performance a, a couple of days ago at Lago Lacino was the first sign, the first symptom of a collective vulnerability. What do you it's think? Very interesting. I, I just like the Don't way you. I like the way you introed it. That was like that was like the most hearsay ever. But I have to say, like as uh, as Wiggins once called him, the the Swanier, the Messer, Matt Rabin, you keeping your ears to the ground. Well, th that was really just to say that you know, these these sort of tactics or this kind of observation, this espionage of other teams goes on, particularly when nothing has really happened in I the mean, race yet. Yeah, nothing, yeah, yeah. There's nothing really, there's no sort of meat on the bone. So uh, they are, they're watching each other and trying to understand you know, whether Remco is hurt, whether Roglic is as good as he has been in previous years. And we will find out soon enough. But in the meantime, we're left to speculate. Brian, what is not speculation is that Ineos Grenadiers have looked good. I think we can definitively say they have looked good so far. Um, and one rider who has looked good all year, in fact, has maybe, well, he's not had any big wins, but he's been consistently placed in all of the smaller stage races that he's done, is our old friend Pavel Sivakov, uh, sometime or often audio diarist for Cycling Podcast. Um, I felt slightly culpable for... Pavel not 
being an audio diarist this year because we haven't got audio diarists this year. We've gone with a different format. But I thought it was about time we caught up with Pavel. Uh, so I did that in Capua this morning. Here he is. Well, Pavel, first of all, we're missing your updates. So fill us in a little bit. Um, usually we, f we find out about the sort of behind the scenes stuff. Who are you rooming with? Tell us that, first of all. Who are you rooming with on this Giro? I'm rooming with uh, Salva, Salvatore Puccio. So yeah, Italian, local, let's say. Yes, honestly, you know, on the Grand Tour, when you're going back in the room, you don't you don't chat so much really, especially here in the Giro, you come back quite late. You know, I just call my girlfriend and it's already time for bed. So most of the chat for us is happening in the kitchen truck. Usually we always yeah, sit down for yeah, a good hour and a half, even two hours sometimes, just chatting with the boys, getting through the, the stage, like the crazy moments is always, uh, yeah, one of the best moments of the day, I would say. We just share our experience, share like, yeah, what, what we also found like was the same, a hard moment, you know, reassuring each other. So, yeah, usually, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good moment. Uh, Pucho is, well, he's L'Enfant du Pays uh, tomorrow. Yeah. It's his region, so yeah. he'll be able to fill you in on, on what you've got coming tomorrow. Yeah, 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 he, for sure, he'll be, he'll be at home. And um, yeah, he just has uh, had, uh, had a little boy, so I think he'll be really happy passing through, you know, see the family, the friends. But yeah, I think uh, it will be really nice to have him there just to, to guide us. He's also the guy who's doing, like, let's say, the early job, so he'll be able to yeah, guide the team through the, through the roads. And Pavel, just thinking about your season, I mean, it's been really solid so far. And it's one of those sort of seasons where you finished every race, you finished every race well. I'm guessing you feel, feel as though you've got a great base this year. Yeah, definitely. I think so far, I would say my professional career is probably the season where I'm the most consistent. Just at the high level on every race, I'm always there. I'm, I'm feeling it as well. Like just, yeah, just that consistency, you know. Uh, yeah, also I hope to to keep keep it keep the momentum going in Nigeria. Really, it's been it's been good so far. I'm happy, feeling feeling good. So yeah, let's let's see what today brings. I think today is gonna give give us some answers a little bit to everyone, really. And we think of you as a leader. We think of you as someone who should be a leader. You've got the the level to be a leader. You've got Teo and Garant here. I mean, what is in in kind of um, crude terms? What is your role here? Here I'm, uh, yeah, like uh, mountain support. Really, I'm not. I'm not a leader. I'm not going for GC. That's that's my role. Uh, I'm still around in GC, which we could use. Well, the team is going to use me at some point also to put pressure on the guys. But clearly, G and Teo, they are the leaders here, and yeah, I'm here to support them. Well, I won't ask you too many more questions, but Pavel, you're welcome to send us updates whenever you feel like it. Um, the, the voice that we will fit you in, I promise, yeah. this year. And I think you owe me a bottle of wine as well. I think you promised yeah. me a bottle yeah. of wine. Yeah, I do owe you a bottle of wine, yeah. I didn't forget about that, but yeah, it's true. I, I also said that I was trying to cut down on my consumption yeah. during Grand Tour, so, um, so that can wait. La tappa di domani e la cena di ieri. Tomorrow's stage, yesterday's dinner. Well, Brian, what is there to say about yesterday's dinner? Except I'm glad. I, I'm just grateful you're, you're sitting here this evening. Um, but last night's dinner wasn't our last supper, our, our chinacolo. I almost, I almost died last tell, night. Tell the listeners what happened. 
So actually, we we were staying in a small town, near uh, yeah, near, close to Caserta, and I actually have a, a good friend who's who grew up there, um, Juliana Patitucci. So thank you. So she recommended a restaurant. A kind host at the uh, B&B, she recommended the same restaurant. So off we went, and it was a nice and cozy restaurant. Daniel, I saw like all kinds of beautiful dishes being brought out of the kitchen, and uh, I had a, a starter. You had a starter, and then I had a um, a steak, which I, I I often do, but never again. I, I had a piece of meat stuck in my throat, and I couldn't breathe, and I most certainly couldn't drink neither wine nor water. And uh, it wasn't until two o'clock this morning that it actually finally. Passed through my my system. I haven't seen a choke this spectacular since Greg Norman at the 1996 US Masters. Anyway, golf non-golf fans, um, you don't know what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah, so I woke up quite hungry, and waking up hungry in Italy is no fun because breakfast doesn't really exist. You know, you get a you get a bit of, yeah, you, know, you get like your cornetto. I got one with crema. I think you did as well. Yeah, so I've been a bit. Uh, I'm not hungry, as you can tell. I'm, I'm quite happy because we're having uh, din- another dinner tonight, which I hopefully will survive with a great friend of the podcast. Yeah, maybe tonight's dinner is more interesting than yesterday's dinner, um, or will prove to be. It's with our old friend, the, the former acting, the no longer acting ambassador of the United States, Tom Smitham. If he's no longer acting, um, maybe he's doing it for real this time. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to see him. He, he's become a, a good friend and he's a... Um, He's a big fan of, of, of especially Podcast. your work. Mystifyingly, yeah. yeah. Um, Brian, tell us about tomorrow's stage, which, again, I heard on the grapevine that teams have got big plans for tomorrow. They expect tomorrow to be more eventful than today. Tell us why. Yeah, I'll tell you why. So stage eight tomorrow from Terni in Umbria uh, to Fossombrone in Le Marche, 207 kilometers. Another long stage. It starts with a 10K climb, and it actually has four climbs uh, overall in a rather undulating uh, terrain. There's two possibilities. Either a break will go all the way, or a team like Trek, EF Education will keep it together. But there's a loop at the end where the race will pass the finish line before hitting the steep Monte delle Cesane climb. Before a small kick over, uh, another, it's a smaller climb, but it's also hard and very steep, and it's called the Cappuccini. And then I looked in the race book, and they're passing that around five in the afternoon, so major no no. Cappuccini at five o'clock. Um, and then after that, there's just six kilometers to the finish line. It's, uh, I think this is one of those dangerous stages that could actually develop into a secondary GC fight. I mean, there's no one, I would think at least, of the, of the top 10 candidates that have heavy legs today. A lot of riders are, you know, a lot of the riders going into a breakaway, a lot of the riders who don't have GC ambitions, they have a rest day after, they have two rest days actually, you know, 35 kilometer. A time trial and then the, and then the rest day. So I I'm expecting or should I say probably hoping a completely different kind of action tomorrow. Brian, you mentioned the cappuccini climb. This seems an opportune moment just to well turn to our culinary mythbuster and heartbreaker in situ, Alberto Grandi, or at least to refer to. It, well, it's certainly not. I, I'm pretty sure the name of the climb has nothing to do with the drink. It would be multiple cappuccinos and the cappuccini well isn't um, it the uh, well it's named after monks isn't it well that is one that is one theory um not it's never really been proven um, but there are cappuccini monks yes there are Th- that's not a no that's, that's not that is true and um the the theory goes that well th- one of the theories about the origins of cappuccini cappuccino um is that in 19 sorry 19 why do i keep saying 19 1683 um someone exclaimed cappuccina 
um, the German word for monk. And this became, when they saw this cafe latte and they noticed that it was the same color as the cloth being worn by one of these monks with the hood. And that was where the name come from. However, um, Alberto Grandi, our friend from the university, our friend now, I'm calling him, from the University of He's Parma, not my friend. no friend of um, Italian culinary traditionalists, he says that, well, he thinks that cappuccino was only really invented in the 1950s when Gadja, who have sponsored, they've been co sponsors of cycling teams in the past, they brought out a gadget to, to foam milk the milk in a cafe latte and he said that it only became popularized then in the 1950s and he's even got a theory and those who have listened to our uh, kilometer zero imbroglio will know this he's got a theory that it was mainly germans that popularized the drink on the riviera romagnola so pantani country um, in the 50s 60s and 70s but it's can we finish on a on a more upbeat note Yes, we shall. But Brian, um, Monte de Cesana, I mean, which one of these two climbs is going to have more impact on the outcome Well, one is, one is longer, one is shorter. Uh, I think the selection will be made on the on the Cesana and the win will be made on the Cappuccini. That's my theory anyway. What kind of rider is going to win tomorrow's stage? So I was actually looking and I think it's... If he'd been in um, in better shape than I that I well he was actually quite up there today as a rider like Magnus Court like someone who can f- make it over those climbs from the bunch I don't think I think there'll be a breakaway so it'll be a breakaway with his style of rider that will then that will then take the win given the little bit of intel that I collected from Ineos that they had decided not to be aggressive today and that tomorrow was the key day of this weekend before the time trial what might I mean just thinking about where their riders are in general classification even Pavel Sivakov is within touching distance really what not a bad could idea. they try that's and, not a bad idea yeah and, and it would I think it would happen on the Cesane um, yeah that's where the selection the yeah. ultimate selection but I think the win will someone will jump away on the Cappuccini yep indeed indeed Brian, I think that's about it for the season. We evening. also got to go and see Tom and his and Yes, his wife. Um, you, we are going to finish on a slightly somber note, unfortunately. Um, a colleague of ours, a uh, cycling journalist, um, Ed Hood of Pez Cycling News, um, has been having some terrible health problems. He had uh, a devastating stroke in February and, well, he faces an uncertain future. And I would just like to invite any listeners who would like to to donate to Ed and um, or those looking after him. And you can find details on how to do that at PezCycling.com. Obviously, we wish Ed all the best. You certainly do. Brian, we're off down the mountain to L'Aquila. We're going to meet up with Tom Smitham and we'll report back on that tomorrow with hopefully a little bit more action to report back on as well. In the meantime, it's Buonasera from me. Buonasera from me as well. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burnett.